Looking to start your own website? The first thing you need is a domain name, and the best place to get one is at GoDaddy.com. With your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just $7.49 a year. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This week's episode of MuggleCast is also brought to you by Audible.com the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast today for details. Hello, this is David Heyman, and I'm the producer of the Harry Potter films, and this is MuggleCast. Because Andrew just can't accept that Hedwig is a she, this is MuggleCast, episode 208, for September the 13th, 2010. Welcome everyone back to the show... It's very exciting time to be a Harry Potter fan. We're getting lots of great Deathly Hallows Part 1 promotional material. Or is it great? We'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. Eric, Micah, and Laura are here. Hello. Hey. Ladies. And Micah and Eric. Hey. <laughs> Laura, I think this is your first regular show in a while, no? Um, I know I did one after the tour... Um, but yeah, this would probably be my first one in about a month. I've been okay. busy getting moved back to college and everything, but now uh, I'm all settled, yes. so. Back in Maryland. Yes. Well, it's good to be podcasting with you all. So we have a lot to do this week. There's there's very little time for a proper intro anymore. There's just too much to discuss on the each and every episode. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. Tannenbaum, tell us what is in the news this week. You are a fantastic reporter. I always look forward to your reports. You know? Oh, well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate you have your, that. your finger on the Harry Potter pulse. That's true, I do. <laughs> or at least I try. But uh, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of stuff since our last show. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about that you know that I really enjoy very much uh, is pictures when it comes to movies. (laughs) I I just really enjoyed all the pictures from Half-Blood Prince that were released uh, last year, and and I'm really enjoying all the Deathly Hallows photos uh, that have been released up until this point. Uh, We got a lot of them in the last couple of weeks, and uh, just wanted to know what you guys' thoughts were. And we can run through some of them here uh, if you want. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of pictures of the trio. Uh, Somebody pointed this out, I think... Uh, was it on Twitter? Or yeah, yeah, somebody sent this in to us. 
um, Farrah is upset. She said, I want more pictures of the other people in the series, not just the trio. I really want to see the earless George, <laughs> which I don't think we're going to get a picture of that. Oh, <laughs> look, the earless George is not a pretty picture. You do not want to see it. I'm sorry. Farrah well, is obsessed. I, I look pictures. I look pretty. forward to some pictures from the wedding. Um, let's see what else is there to look forward to. The ministry, seeing Umbridge. I mean, there's still a lot of good stuff to look forward to that they're sort of holding back, I guess you could say. Yeah, I'm glad they keep it under the wraps because it's uh, it's it's good. I just like when they withhold things because um, I hate when they show the whole movie before it comes out. Although, I think with this movie in particular, they've kind of, they could show a little bit more. At least in the form of video, like... You don't, you don't like seeing the movie before it comes out? Because <laughs> you totally saw it. No. Yeah, you, you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you, you, you saw the movie. Oh, oh, didn't oh. did you? A couple weeks ago? Come on, Micah. You, you had to bring that up. I'm talking about them revealing it in the forms of trailers, showing all the scenes and pictures, exhaustive pictures. This is not the case with Deathly Hallows like, Part 1. We only... You mean like with Goblet of Fire where they released something like 12 video clips from the movie? 12 separate five-minute video clips from the movie? Yeah. Yeah, bad idea. Bad marketing. But it seems like they do that with every movie. Until now, when only yesterday we got like a 30-second video. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to ask you, though. Having seen the film already, are they doing a good job with not showing a lot of stuff that's in the film? I mean, we're going to get a trailer at some point in the next couple of days, week maybe, but you you think that they've done a good job so far keeping people in the dark. Well, I'm I'm gonna I mean I'm gonna reserve judgment until the first official trailer. But these promo pictures, like uh, for instance, um, Scrimjar, like giving giving uh, passing on Dumbledore's will uh, inside the burrow, like I like that image. I would say it's probably my favorite promotional image because it's at an angle. The picture is taken from an angle that we don't see in the film, so I like it. Well, I noticed that uh, they have food on their little coffee table. Then wasn't there like some perfectly pla- placed food on the coffee table in Half Blood Prince too? During that awkward Christmas moment. <laughs> <laughs> what? But I, I like the look on Scrimgeour's face. You can see in this picture, you can see his reluctance to hand it over. Oh yeah, he looks PO'd, which is really cool. Yeah, I, he I looks like awesome. I can't wait to see him play that role. Yeah. Before we move on, we'd like to remind everyone that this week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Will Grayson, Will Grayson, the new book by John Green. He's the author of Paper Towns, and he's a great young adult author. So for a free audiobook of your choice, such as Will Grayson, Will Grayson, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. So what other promotional material have we seen, Micah, from the film besides pictures? Besides pictures, well, we we got a TV spot uh, yesterday or two days ago. It was on Thursday. Thursday. So, is is that is that what you call it, a t- Micah? A, t- a TV spot? Because I was pretty sure, like, I exhaled and it was over. Oh, that's like, the what's, thing about what's a spot. Going on with that? It's, it's like, a boom. It's a it's a little punch. It's a spot. Yes, it's it's like a commercial, Eric. Yeah, it's a commercial. I mean, that's for some reason they call them TV spots, but they're they're technically commercials, and um. It's pretty good. I I wasn't too 
blown away by it. But the, the thing with these commercials is that they're only 30 seconds, so they don't have much time to build up momentum and emotion. It so seems- you just... You just see a bunch of clips, and then before you know it, it's it's over. A lot of the focus is on Voldemort in this yeah. TV spot, which is I'm wondering if that's the direction they're going to be going in with at least part one, uh, having a heavy focus on him. Well, yeah, because they got to build up the whole: how is Harry going to defeat this crazy man, this crazy crazy evil man who who wants Harry's heart, as he says in the TV I don't, spot. I don't know. Like, I don't think that. Any of that's in part one. Like, I, I, I think there's a lot less in, of part one than everybody thinks is in this TV spot. Cause all those voiceovers of Voldemort, like, that's not, at least in the, the version of the film I saw, it's not, he, he doesn't talk about Harry's heart and stuff. That just, that doesn't happen. There's no direct Voldemort to Harry using the force to talk to him. None of that. Well, it could be just for the TV spot. They could have recorded it just for that. Yeah, like this, this overview to, to build it up, to, to psych it up. But um, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot from from part one, especially new footage. Like, there's not any in this TV spot. So I can't wait for a trailer because I really want to see how they're going to use the scenes in this movie to, you know, portray the film. Because we still don't have a trailer of just There were definitely one. things in here, though, that we haven't seen before. Uh, such as? Ghostly Dumbledore. Yep. Okay. Which was very cool to see. That was our first look at him. Uh, we also saw Death Eaters attacking the burrow, I believe. Um, somebody said there was a shot of uh, uh, Voldemort or Death Eaters attacking Shell Cottage, but I don't think that's that. I don't no, think that's I, right. I think it. What they were attacking was uh, Lovegood's oh, Lo- home. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. It's Lovegood's home. Yeah. Okay. And uh, also saw Nagini slithering down the table. Um, yeah, that was. Cool. And, and if you look closely, you can see Snape in that shot. By the way, if you look. At the end of the table, Voldemort's uh, or Snape's sitting right next to Voldemort. Yeah. So, uh, what's her name? Charity Burbage is about to meet her untimely end. Hmm. Yes, and uh, we see some cool shots of Harry and Hagrid on the motorbike. I feel like that's going to be one of the clips we're going to see a lot: Harry and Hagrid riding through Britain. Because yeah, it's... I really enjoyed them going through the the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, doing a little loop. Yeah. Yeah. That's also, a new ride there. You know, that could be a great new ride at the Wizarding World theme park. <laughs> you should yeah, work for that. On <laughs> motorbike escape. When people get sick of the forbidden journey. <laughs> yeah. But uh, also that midair battle between Harry and Voldemort, where their wands connect. Oh, yeah. they spoiled that. I can't believe that. That was cool. I, it's hard to tell it's Voldemort, though. I mean, if you look at it, it just looks like a ghostly figure. Figure. He's doing a lot of weird stuff. Um, Voldemort. I guess you can kind of figure out what's going on there. So... Plenty of new stuff. Yeah. And just a, a minor thing, at the end, when you see the title, it looks like they use the, where it says, and the Deathly Hallows, it looks like they used the the font that was used on the book. And that's the first time I think that's ever been done. Do you think? Which is, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think so. Huh. It's written more closely. It's more, cl- it's not exactly, but it's a little closer to what you see on the book. Cool. Hey, Eric, I meant to ask this, actually, and this would be really cool. I've been meaning to say this on MuggleCast. You know how the, the Deathly Hallows, the U.S. edition, it, it says at the beginning, we now present the seventh and final, blah, 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 blah. Wouldn't that be cool if they had text like that at the beginning of part one? Of? The movie. Wait, in book seven, what happens? You said they present it? At the beginning of, at the beginning of book seven. Scholastic has a page that says, we now present the seventh and final installment of 
the the greatest series ever. <laughs> Whatever. I don't, you you know that page I'm talking about? No, I about? don't. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Micah, you know what I'm talking about, no, right? I re- no, I've I never saw that. It's not in my yeah, copy. Me neither. Do you that have is, a special book? That is not in my copy, Andrew. You have a special. How about the inside flap? The inside flap? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, the inside flap of the hardcover says we now present the seventh and final installment of the epic tale of Harry Potter. That's in. Yeah, they should have. Okay. They should have something like that at the beginning of the movie. I think that'd be really cool. Like a little tribute to the book, and it's also like to get you freaking pumped. <laughs> well, I wonder, like, when the title card came up in the beginning of the movie, it, it didn't say part one, like, even then. So I don't know when they're going to – this whole part one, part two nonsense, like, because there, there's no trailer for just part one, I'm really wondering if they're ever going to just say that this is part one and it's – Obviously, of a two-part. So, what I'm saying is I don't think that they'll celebrate that it's, like, the final thing until next movie. Like, maybe they could do something for the beginning of the next film. Because this is just, this is, you know, just leading on to, to, to that. It's not the finale. Uh, we got some feedback sent into our Twitter, which is twitter.com slash mugglecast. Twisted Owl 87 says, amazing. I was very pleased with the fact that it seemed to only show clips from part one. Aaron Avenant said, Zombie Dumbledore looks freaking awesome, and Be- Bellatrix got a whip. <laughs> oh, yeah, B I forgot says, about that. Yeah, it's pretty hot. <laughs> Liz and B says, they show too much for a 30-second preview. It's hard to follow, and you have to stop at every second to actually see the clip. Yeah, you, you can't win with Harry Potter fans. Like, you show too much, people complain it's too much. Well, that's you show why too I put little, these people in. complain it's too little. There's such a mixed response. That's why I liked you know, what people had to say, particularly about this clip. Matt Cahoy said, very solid-looking spot. It captures how against the odds Harry is. Plus, we see the wands connect in the Seven Potter scene. APGB says, why does Voldemort say, I have seen your heart, and it is mine in the TV spot? <laughs> Sounds like a bad romance fan Yeah, APGB, that, the jury's out on that one. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he says that. And PinkDude64 says, epic, slightly repetitive, and a little confusing. I both can and cannot wait at the same time. <laughs> So overall, a, a good TV spot. And finally, um, somebody emailed us, Megana, Mega, Megana, 17 from Williamsburg, Virginia. She pointed out that, again, Warner Brothers used old clips from previous films in the TV spot. And she specifically refers to at the, about the six second mark, you see this stretched image of Voldemort. And you can tell it does not fit with this trailer. It's not even in the proper format. They stretched it out. I think they stretch it out because there's another person in that scene, and they don't want people to realize that it's it's an old clip. Because he's you see Voldemort talk, oh, yeah. but his mouth isn't moving with those words. It's very strange. That wow, they that is that. weird. Uh, it was one of the first things I noticed. I'm looking at that now. Um, I think it's from Goblet of Fire. So anyway, we've been talking a lot about a trailer, Micah. Apparently, it's due out by the end of this month. According to MuggleNet.com, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, a source that we rely well, on for our news in this show. Yes, according to this news post, an alleged tweet from the official Harry Potter Twitter account appeared online claiming a specific date and time for Deathly Hallows Part 1 trailer release. UniverseHarryPotter.com contacted Warner Brothers International to confirm whether or not this was true, and WB told them a trailer for the film uh, will indeed be released at the end of this month. So... I we don't get think the trailer. tweet was real because nobody retweeted it. And usually I get a little text message every time this Twitter account sends out a tweet. So I, I think it was definitely fake. But we know a trailer exists. We talked about it on the last episode. Uh, 
the 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 British uh board of film classification, whatever, they rated a new trailer for part one. It's about two minutes long. And, you know, it's 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 just time. Now somebody emailed in and um Joshua, twenty from California, emailed in and said, Do you think the part one trailer will be premiering in front of Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Ga'ul? Another Warner Brothers film released September twenty fourth. Door to the Phoenix trailer debuted before WB's Happy Feet, and I think they'd like to show it in front of one of their films with a similar audience, and possibly the same weekend online as well. I think he's absolutely right. This Owl movie, first of all, it looks like, you might as well call it like Hedwig's Tale. Like, it, <laughs> it looks like Hedwig. And I only want to see it because it reminds me of Hedwig. It, it actually looks and like, it looks like David Bowie in Labyrinth uh, playing Jareth Goblin King, who can become an owl. Oh my god. That's what it lo- that's what that's what the movie's style is like, but I I really want to see this Legend of the Guardians, so. So I think yeah, I think Joshua is absolutely right. And um every time I see the trailer for this movie, this owl movie, I, I think it's Hedwig. They should have just made it a Hedwig spin-off. Yeah, and what blow up the bird at the end. Well, it works great because in the film, I mean, we see Harry let go of Hedwig. So this could be like Hedwig's uh I'll, I'll, like say he didn't die. She. This could be his She. She, sorry. This could be his uh her his epilogue her her, <laughs> her, many, her, her epilogue Hedwig her illegitimate child <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh but what does that mean for us though cuz normally we will get the trailer before it ends up in theaters yeah i think they'll re- they'll re- they'll release it online first so maybe the weekend f- week 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 beforehand i actually have a theory i shared with mike the other day they are letting me release a tease of my Deathly Hallows Part 1 set report on September 15th. So I'm guessing it's going to be that week that the trailer comes out. So in just a few days, oh, they're, the trailer they're like, should Remember be out. that thing you did a few months ago? Well, you can talk about it, but only some of it, and uh, but just not a tease, for another two, two weeks. Paragraphs. <laughs> two paragraphs, no quotes. So wow. I think they're going to release it in a few days, and that makes sense because I think that's what they did with Half-Blood Prince, too. They released the trailer, and at the same time, they said, oh, yeah, you can uh, do a tease for your set report. But it's really oh, close. Nice it's really close to the release of the film, isn't it? Like six weeks, oh, eight weeks, great. something like that for a trailer yeah. is, is kind of late in the game. It's two months. Two months. Anyway, what else is going on in the news, in the Wizarding World, Micah? Well, we talked about uh, this next story a, a little bit, or, or how this story came about uh, with the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and that if you try and go on the Forbidden Journey ride, there's a certain body size limit that may prevent some people from being able uh, to enjoy themselves. And um, you noted that specifically it has to do with your gut area. If the, the ride worker does not hear the safety harness click inward three times, you cannot go on the ride. And apparently some man was so determined to go on this ride that he actually lost the weight necessary in order to go on the Forbidden Journey. Wow, that's really cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. it was a cool idea. And he started this whole blog called Banks Lee and the Three Clicks. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> everything about this story, everything about this guy inspires me. This is, as soon as I saw the post among that, I was like, I had to friend him on Facebook and, you know, I sent him a nice message and I said, you know, congratulations. Cause, uh, I think it's, I think it's cool. Like, this whole three clicks thing is, 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 is pretty official. Like, you know, Universal says, if we don't hear a click three times, you're not going on the ride. And for him to overcome that's awesome. 
And, yeah. and actually, actually I'm, I'm reading his blog right now and it says yeah. that they've just added modified seating to some of the cars for yeah. larger riders. So that's a good thing. I mean, cause I remember when we were there, um, there were a lot of people who just flat out got turned away and it was really sad because that was sort of the highlighting event, um, for those of us who were there. So I'm really glad to hear that they've done that so that more people have access to it. Um, we'll, we'll have to contact Universal and ask about this because, first of all, he just posted this today and he said he heard it from one of the commenters. But in a recent article, Universal said that they weren't, they didn't have any plans to make any changes. Yeah. So we'll have to look into this. But yeah, it's definitely good news. Yeah. How much did he lose? I think it was 12 pounds. I wonder yeah, if he's continuing on to lose weight after that. If this has inspired so. him to lose weight. Be interesting. Well, I know it's interesting because both Andrew and Micah, both of you, have been hitting the gym a lot in the past two, three years. I just, you know, I read your tweets and stuff. So it's really cool, you know, fitness. And I really need to, uh, th- this article made me realize that I should probably get more in shape too. <laughs> Eric, you're in fine shape. Oh, well, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> no, but really, I should work out. I check you out quite frequently. Okay. Um, and well, what speaking of the Wizarding World, uh, it's possible that the theme park will expand within the next two to three years. And Andrew, you actually uh, did some digging on this, and you think that the Lost Continent will be lost uh, within, I guess, the next uh, <laughs> six to 12 months and uh, never yeah. return. Jurassic Park is going away, and hopefully they don't make a... Uh, how many movies are there now? There are three. three. Four. There are three. Oh. Well, they're, hopefully well, they're not making a fourth. And uh, yeah, this this is great. I think for you know fans of Harry Potter who have already gone to the park and experienced it, and that they will have something to look forward to, you know, if they decide to go back in in the coming years. And uh, there's really no limit in terms of of what they can do. I think in terms of ideas for rides and other things. Right. There And I think I said this to you guys at the park, or I said it to some people. You walk through that Lost Continent area, and it's just not good. There's no. one good thing about it, and it's the restaurant Mythos. It's a really good restaurant. But other than that, there's this dumb uh, show. I don't even know. It was some Greek god uh, battle show. And I went on it once, and when I went on it, there was like, this huge technical difficulty where the audio cut out. And like so we were just watching all the action in silence, and... It was so, it was, it, it's just, it's this giant area for nothing. So it's really good to hear that they're going to, I, th- you know, that's the big rumor. It makes sense because the, the first comment on this news post I made said it, said it best. Time to beg my mom to take me back. That would be the entire point of them expanding it. Once they expand it and open it up, every single person who went for the opening is going to come back again. Well, I think yeah. some people will come back even without an expansion, and it took them two, two or three years to build the Wizarding World Park. How long would it take them to expand? I mean, that's a lot of construction, and in the meantime, you got people trying to get into the park that exists already, the Harry Potter Park. And if there's construction all throughout the Lost Continent, which is the only way to get into that park... Well, I mean, you can also get in through the Jurassic Park entrance, but what I'm saying is, you know, if there's all this a- added construction, it's going to add to the wait times just to get into the Harry Potter park because there's less space to wait. Yeah. Well, one thing we did note also is that wait times have diminished at the Wizarding World. Uh, One of the bloggers uh, who writes frequently about 
the Wizarding World theme park did say at the beginning of September, just after Labor Day weekend, that the wait times were going down significantly on the rides and you could actually navigate your way through Hogsmeade without, you know, really bumping into somebody else. So uh, if they were to start it, they'd definitely have to start it within the next uh, couple of months if they're looking to, to open an extended area by 2012. Especially now that the summer's over, it's... um. It's a good time, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, so crowds are diminished. I don't think we're going to get an announcement soon, but you know they're working on an expansion. And we've also heard that WB has an agreement with Universal stating that they have to make uh, 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 additions every two or three years, or changes, something to refresh it every two or three years. So that is that. What else, Micah? Final piece of news, uh, according to BBC... J.K. Rowling donated uh, over 10 million pounds, which is, uh, I think, about $15.5 million uh, to the University of Edinburgh to set up a multiple sclerosis research clinic. Um, And the clinic is in memory of her mother, and the hope is to help researchers find a cure for the disease, uh, which took her mother's life uh, just at the age of 45. And the significant thing I think about it was that J.K. Rowling herself just turned 45 uh, in July. So it obviously meant a lot for her to be able to do this, um, you know, at the same age that that her mother had passed away at. Well, it's great that she donated all that money. It's a nice uh, remembrance. I hope it I hope it works. I hope they find a cure. You know what I'm saying? It seems there's there's always donations of great magnitude. Joe has been a patron of a lot of charities, and I I hope I hope that it works. Yeah. Okay, so that's all for news. We have a special interview this week with Jonathan Smith of TT Games. He's one of the developers of the Lego Harry Potter Years One Through Four video game. Mike had conducted this interview with him at. What was it, Micah? Like five in the morning, your time? <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe there are some bloopers to include from uh, the beginning of our conversation. But uh, yeah, Jonathan was definitely surprised that uh, I was up at five o'clock in the morning here in New York talking with him. But uh, that's how much you love the game. That's how much I love the game, and uh, it was good talking to him. Head of production, so he oversees everything, and uh, they're really happy uh, with the success of the game. Well, let's listen to the interview. Okay, well, we are now joined by Jonathan Smith, who is the head of production at TT Games Publishing, makers of LEGO Harry Potter Years 1 to 4. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Michael, thanks so much for having me here. It's great to talk to you and uh, all the Mugnet guys. Now, I wanted to start um, talking about uh, the success that LEGO Harry Potter has enjoyed so far. The last report that I saw said that 2.7 million copies had been shipped to date, and I think that was sometime around the end of July, beginning of August. Did did you guys anticipate the success that this game was going to enjoy? Well, you, you, I mean, 2.7 million is, is a fantastic number, and we are so proud and so pleased that, that everyone's been enjoying the game, and so many people have been enjoying it. We never bank on success. You know, we can't become complacent. We have had some success in the past with our previous LEGO games, um, but with each new title, we work incredibly hard, and the whole team works incredibly hard to raise the bar in terms of what they're putting in the game, the quality of the game, and the scope and the level of ambition of the game. Harry Potter was a completely new world for us to make a LEGO game in, and um, 
we never know. We never know how quite how it's going to turn out, and we never know quite how people are going to receive it. So, um, yeah, we're absolutely delighted. Yeah. How many hours of development went into creating the game itself and, and the different levels? I mean, I played it um, as soon as it came out in June, and, it, and I still haven't made my way completely through it. I think I'm somewhere uh, between the second and third task uh, in year four. But, I, I mean, the levels themselves just seem far more than, than anything that we've seen previously, um, you know, even in other Harry Potter video games. Well, you know, we've always set out to make games that can be played for a very long time. We've always set out to make games that are, that are really fun, not just for a day or two, but, you know, for months and months, and that people can really fall in love with. And so expansive, so rich... Um, so luxurious is the world of Harry Potter that we just found so much that we wanted to put in the game, so much to get our teeth into. So yeah, it is our biggest ever Lego game. Uh, I said we wanted to raise the bar, raise the scope of our ambition with each title, and that was the goal we set ourselves for Harry Potter. It has had a massive team. Um, it's the team, the size of the team fluctuates, um, but we've had, you know, up to about 80 people working on it over the course of two full years. Um, I did a quick calculation how many hours that is <laughs> it's, it's many hundreds of thousands of hours um, I mean it, you know, there's a lot of work that's gone into Lego Harry Potter and again we're delighted that it's paid off yeah absolutely it, it definitely has paid off <laughs> I think just just by sitting down and, and you know seeing everything that's there and, and just the different areas that, that have been created that maybe you've always wanted to go to but you've, you haven't had that opportunity mm. um, from something as simple as the Quidditch pitch um, to you know walking around Diagon Alley and, and being able to uh, you know attack different people um, so is that what you always wanted to do <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's interesting yeah. uh, the different characters you see walking around uh, Diagon Alley now and again and uh, you know it's it's uh, it's tempting to take a shot at them I won't lie <laughs> That's where everybody needs to go to get their magical supplies. That's true. It's true. Now, with, with creating the levels, was a lot of that taken from the books or the movies, or was it a bit of uh, both? Well, as I'm sure you can tell, um, it, it's both. You know, vis visually, we take a lot of cues from the movies. The movies have sort of realized the world of Harry Potter over many years now um, in a really compelling way. A lot of people um, have quite strongly in their imaginations, and we really want to work build on, you know, take advantage on of all the work that had already been done by those extremely talented people. So, visually, there are lots of cues from the movies. It's very uh, sympathetic to the movies. Um, but there are, as you pointed out, you know, areas which are not yet touched on in the movies. Um, and we wanted, with the game, to create a really coherent game world that felt like everything you imagined from the books was also present in the game here. And, and we did build areas of Hogwarts in particular, like some of the common rooms that you haven't seen before, like Hufflepuff common room, perhaps, or Slytherin common room, um, from a combination of just sort of extrapolating from clues in the books, and then going through, and this is behind everything that's in the game, you know, a really intensive process of support and feedback and discussion with a lot of representatives from the book side, from J.K. Rowling's side, and also from the movie side of Warner Brothers as well, and their support, their suggestions, their insight, and their sort of reflections of their own imaginations about what these places are like coalesce into what you finally see in, on screen. Yeah, you mentioned the the Hufflepuff common room in particular. I was wondering what the process was of, of creating that particular area, because it was only mentioned, but never seen in the books, or, or never it, it was never well, talked about in the books. 
or described. Well, that's right, but you know we have we we have lots of other uh, pieces of information about how Hufflepuffs behave, you know, by 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 personality and examples of individuals who come from the common room. So you, you sort of extrapolate, you build on the clues that are there throughout the text, what you've seen in the movies, um, and you know you know the world of the books uh, is so imaginatively compelling that you may not have seen a place like Hufflepuff common room on on screen in the movies before, but everybody who's read the books, if you were to ask them to describe it, they would probably have a pretty good go at it and be able to see it pretty vividly. And as I say, what we did was talk with lots of different people who were expert in this in this area and were very intimately connected with the fiction and with this imaginative world and draw upon everyone's ideas. And ultimately, it's the work of, uh, you know, a couple of individual artists, the Traveller's Tales, who are putting all that together um, with, their, with, with extreme talent. Um, and uh, it seems to have worked. You also mentioned uh, building on the other Lego games that have come before it, Batman, Star Wars. You know, What features were you really looking to improve upon uh, with Harry Potter? And maybe what are some features that you added in this game that, that you were really looking forward to people uh, getting a chance to play? Um, well, so uh, in, in order, uh, the level of just improving, there's a continual technical uh, rolling process of innovation that the teams of Traveller's Tales are, 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 are taking on for each new project. So you'll notice that Harry Potter just look better than any game you've seen before. There are lots of pieces of innovation technically going on behind that that enables the artist to do a job which, which sparkles even more than it has done before with a greater level of visual detail. Um, there are technical things going on behind in the background, um, such as now the implementation of a of a physics system within the world that makes the world feel more real, that makes the Lego elements that you encounter in the world behave in a way which is much more like real physics, like real Lego, where you can kick the Lego around. Um, you don't build necessarily from pre-scripted uh, animations anymore. You can actually pick up using magic individual Lego elements and build them to your own design. That's resting on the bedrock of the new physics system, which is a technical innovation, it's also a completely new addition that really fits with the world of magic that we wanted to create distinctively in Lego Harry Potter. So the really big new things that we were focusing on moving into the world of Lego Harry Potter was obviously magic, implementation of lots of different spells, cool spells, spell effects, um, particular idea of magical building, and then immersing you in the scope of a massive adventure over four full years of experience within Hogwarts and beyond as well. So creating what you were describing earlier, this sort of apparently massive, sort of awe-inspiring environment of Hogwarts, which feels real, which feels alive, which is recognizably the place that you've been to in your imagination from the books and the films, but also functions as a video game environment so you're not completely overwhelmed at the start, that the game is structured in such a way that by attending lessons, by sometimes that's following nearly headless Nick, but being always free to explore, you get sufficient cues to lead you on an adventure that takes you through the story um, in a way that we hope is compelling. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think, you know, and the ability to switch characters, and I think was essential, um, you know, for the gameplay. And, you know, I was wondering also, I guess it kind of goes along with this question about, you know, d- did you feel that the... Th- that the game players w- would like, obviously, the the ability to switch off to different characters. I know in in certain scenes you don't really have a choice; you have to sort of divert from being Harry. Yeah, I think that is one of the things that that people really like about the game. I know 
there's there's over 150 or 70 something like that uh playable characters and and that's just unbelievable in and of itself to to be able to wander around this world as you know scabbers or hagrid or any number of different <laughs> characters yeah absolutely you know it's called, the world is called the world of Harry. We refer to it as the world of Harry Potter. The films and the books have got Harry Potter in the title, but and Harry Potter has an amazing story. But Harry Potter is not the only person in that world by by any means. And anyone who's a fan of that world and those stories follows the stories of many many other individuals, um, perhaps equally closely as well. They all they all add add texture. So in our style of game, you know, in our games right from the start, we've always felt it's important for the way that. You know, our, our team functions. Imagine the way we like to play games to be able to be free to try try out different things to experiment. That means experimenting with being different people. Um, so that seemed a really good fit for this one. Yeah, um, I know one of the things that people have enjoyed immensely um, with this Lego Harry Potter game. Or, or this Lego game in general uh, is the humor, and I, I was wondering who is responsible for putting those cutscenes together because one of the things that made this game, in my opinion, so highly anticipated was seeing those vignettes and and the way that they were put together. Um, it it just seemed like people couldn't wait to get the game into their hands to play it. Is there a specific group of people that is dedicated um, to to writing those scenes? Yes, there is. We have, we have a specialist um, Lego cutscene group within the team at Traveller's Tale um, who have, have worked on the games previously and um, absolutely relish the opportunity to bring that style of humour. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an authentic irreverence, I think. I've just coined that term. We haven't used it. <laughs> garden, but it means that we're, we're always authentic. You know, we're always absolutely true to the elements, uh, to the elements that make the stories imaginatively powerful. Um, but at the same time, we, in the world of Lego, surprising things will happen, and it won't always get played straight, um, because that's how the world of Lego behaves. And that we have a, a fantastically talented team of animators led by the head of animation at Travel Tales, who's Jeff Pardon, um, who, who, who are able to draw the inspiration and, and be absolutely true to the very best the most exciting, most dramatic sequences that you remember from the fiction or you've seen the films, but then put that wonderful Lego twist on them, bring the humor out of the characters and out of the scenes in a completely fresh way. Yeah, and, and I mean, with really no no sound, uh, no, no speaking lines between these characters, I guess it can be difficult um, to, to, to communicate the story. We, 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 always found, we always found from the start... Ah, sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. Easier to be fun, but even that does make it easier in some ways to be funny. Um, that is part of the Lego characters creating their distinctive way of interacting with each other and telling a story, which is which is more funny than were they explaining everything in a way that was very similar to a movie. Yeah, I, I absolutely but agree. You're right. There are some there are some instances where not having words can make particularly. You know, where, where the plots of the Lego Harry Potter do become quite complex at some points can make that hard to sort of explain. But we do have the, you know, there's quite strict rule that if, if we start trying to explain things, we're probably going down the wrong path and we should just skip over it. <laughs> because the books tell the stories extremely well. And the movies tell their stories extremely well as well. And our job is not to 
tell the whole, you know, every detail of the story. We're not there to replicate the experience reading the books. We cannot come close to the experience of the books in terms of the density of information and, and, of, and of story and of detail that's there um, from, from a plot point of view. So we, we, should, we shouldn't try to do that. The books are there for everybody. Um, we, we should experience, we should concentrate on keeping, the, keeping our tempo moving, keeping people smiling, and at the same time communicating this, the sort of, the, the, the scope and breadth and reach and, and energy of the overall narrative. Yeah, uh, I was going to... I was going to say, no, I think those cutscenes do a great job, especially with the humor of, of keeping the flow of the story, um, you know, for the game player. Now, who decided on, on the main set of spells uh, that were going to be used in this game? I know you sort of have that little circle that you can choose from. And you can also go into uh, Diagon Alley and buy uh, additional spells on top of that that you can use. Um, but but sort of the core group um were they the most popular in the books and, and the movies, and and that's why you felt that that they would work best, or or what was the process in deciding that? The lead designer uh, of Lego Harry Potter at Travis Tales um, is a super chap called Arthur Parsons, who's, who's as you'd expect a massive Harry Potter fan and also a big fan yeah, of that game. I met him in New York. Oh, oh excellent. Okay, so you know Arthur. So it's basically <laughs> the answer to your question is basically Arthur, Arthur was primarily responsible for determining which spells were included in the game and what functions they had and how they were arranged. Um, but, you know, they were uh, in the process of development over two years, of course, there's back and forth with other people as well um, to sort of knock things into shape. But uh, Arthur was uh, picking on uh, certain spells which are very important to sort of the story of Harry's progression through Hogwarts in those early years. You know, there are certain spells which he learned and the lessons in which he learned are memorable and then the uses that he puts them those spells to uh, help progress the actual sort of main narrative. Also, spells which were very important for us because we had good uh, gameplay effects for them. I mean, Leviosa is a case which sort of covers both, both, both of those. Leviosa is obviously uh, sort of a, a signature spell in the, in the fiction early on. And also, it enables in the video game uh, us to uh, build, build objects out of Lego, which is something that is very important to us in a Lego game that you can go around building and constructing, um, and particularly in Lego Harry Potter, building to your own design by moving around individual Lego bricks and elements. So that was naturally a key focus. Many of the other sort of supplemental spells, the, 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 the bonus spells, the extra spells, um, Arthur's just, just, just taking from his, his wide and, and deep reading of the fiction um, and just sort of running off in his own imagination about how cool uh, you know, he, I'd like to seize on things and say that wouldn't it be really cool if I could turn, you know, put foot handlers on someone's head and there's a spell which does that, so we'll put that in the game. So, you know, the energy of the team led by Arthur to include as much as possible that is fun and cool um, lies behind uh, that breadth of spells that there are in the game. I, I definitely think that you can tell, um, you know, his passion for the series when you go and you play the game because just there's so much that's there um you know from from a detail standpoint I, I thought it was unbelievable just you know playing through those first couple of days when i got the game and just seeing everything that that that's there that you would think about you know when you went and read the books so um it's just an unbelievable job and and that's why you know we we've pushed this so much um you know on the site on the podcast you know go out and play this game because you know, if you're a Harry Potter fan, you will absolutely love it. 
A couple of final questions. Uh, you know, uh, I'm assuming that, that you've played the game. You know, do you have a favorite year, a favorite task, a favorite character? Um, you know, from from your time, you know, sitting down and, and yeah. I mean, we're we're seeing the game. You know, obviously as, as the game's being built up, we see new sequences, new scenes come in over the course of a very long time, rather than having the experience of playing them all through in a very smooth progression. And so, some of them have, you know, some things have real impact at the point that they first appear. I, I think what really stands out is the dragon task from year four for us. When we first saw that uh, fantastic creature in the fire, all the drama and the action, that it came at a point in development where we were, um, you know, we just got, Hogwarts was just starting to work. The whole game was starting to fall into place. Um, you know, after quite a long period of trying to put it all together, you know, it's a, lot, it's a long time when you're making a game before you can actually play it. Um, the whole thing was just starting to come together and then in the individual story sequences, um, to have that as a sort of a real signature of wow, this is and this is how cool and exciting the action's going to be. And that really stands out as absolutely a favour. Um favourite favorite character like like some of the other people has to be Snape, I think. I think to to a very significant extent the, the story I mean, you know, for, for me the story of Hypothesis is, is is very dramatically the story of Snape. Yeah. And um that's a great story. Do do you play as him throughout the course of the game? Have you uh, well, you're, where, where possible, I mean, often when we're, when we're checking specific things within the game, we're, we're, we're just trying to get through things as quickly as possible, and there are very shortcuts techniques we use to, to try and get through things as quickly as possible. For pleasure, for fun, let's say, for pleasure, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, anything, um, as far as Easter eggs, I think is what they call them, that... Uh, if you're a true die-hard Harry Potter fan that you should keep an eye out for that may be hidden in the game? I think you'll find them all over yeah. throughout, throughout the whole game. You know, in the sense, you know, if you're a fan, you should find something surprising like you would ever, at every turn. That was rather, rather than having a little bit of fan service tucked away later on in the game. That's what you should find in Harry Potter, definitely. Okay. Well, so, so, so no, I, wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't pick up any individual. I mean, it's, it's just so so full of little sort of winks and nods. And, and, and yeah, I, I agree. I think it's the way the game works is full of full of secrets and things. It's very rich with detail. Um, now, I want to thank you. Those are all the questions that I have for for taking the time uh, to speak with us. Hi, we hi, really it's, appreciate it's, it. It's a great pleasure. I'm really glad uh, you've enjoyed playing the game, and uh, thank you for your time. All right, great job, Micah. Even at four or five in the morning, you are still an intrepid reporter. Yeah, that was impressive. Um, and the game's been a huge success, and like you know, like you guys talked about, so it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive that I'm really happy to see it was so successful because it totally deserved it. I am. Um, I um, Matt got it the other day, and I've been watching him play it, and the graphics are beautiful. The gr- gameplay's great, um, and 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 a pleasant surprise I found was that they use all the uh, music from the films. So that yeah. really added a lot to the authenticity of it. Even just when you're walking mm-hmm. around, you hear the nice, some of John Williams' nice compositions from the game, or from the film. So, yeah, really well, nice. Yeah. Probably the biggest question that I didn't ask that a lot of people are going to be wondering is, are they going to make a follow-up of, you know, years five to seven? And I would bet on it. You know, I, unfortunately, I wasn't a- allowed to ask that question um, but uh, I would bet on them making another game because of the success that this one's had. Like, close to 3 million copies sold. 
um, just in these first couple months. And speaking of Matt, you say, uh, it's his birthday today, isn't it? Yes, it is. Matt's not Aww, on the show this week, but happy Maddie. birthday to Matt Britton, turning 25 and playing Lego Harry Potter as we record this. Always Harry Potter going on in this apartment. Anyway, time now for chapter by chapter. This week we're looking at chapters 7 through 9 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Cozy up, open up your book. We have lots to talk about this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to start with chapter 7, of course. And this chapter is called Bagman and Crouch. I, I have to say, before we start, Mike, I have a paperback version of Goblet of Fire, and it's really falling apart. And I'm going to be really <laughs> impressed too. if we get through chapter by chapter without this thing completely splitting in half. Because <laughs> that's the condition it's in. So anyway, the chapter begins with Harry, the Weasleys, and the Diggeries arriving at the World Cup campsites, and they head to their particular tent. Mr. Weasley struggles with the muggle money, and I, I you know, I because he has to pay uh, the muggle owner of the campsite, and I agree with Mr. Weasley, the the uh, uh, British muggle money is very... Something about it. I, I've yet to year, learn their coins very well. I'm still very confused. I have to sit there like a tourist and pick out the specific coins then. The coins are cool. I think like the two pence piece is like gold surrounded by silver. I love They're it. They're cool, but Absolutely yeah, yeah, those are those are my favorite. <laughs> I don't I don't like to spend them. <laughs> I like collecting them <laughs> and holding them. So uh-huh. um the muggle who owns the campsite tells Mr. Weasley he doesn't understand why all these people are showing up at the same time. Which I feel is a bit risky, and they keep wiping Mr. Roberts, the the Muggle owner. Uh, they keep w- wiping his memory, uh, and they say they have to wipe it ten times a day. It just seems very interesting that with all the magic in the world and all the precautions they put around the Quidditch World Cup stadium itself, you know, so Muggles when they walk towards it, they remember an urgent appointment. You know, why couldn't they have built their own? I don't know, underground, <laughs> something that, where all these people could stay. I mean, we talked on the last episode that it must be very hard to coordinate a huge event where 100,000 wizards are all de- descending on one muggle area, but... Yeah, would... well, they do say in the book that it was like, it did take months and months of preparation, and, like, I'm wondering, if they wipe Mr. Roberts's memory ten times a day, why even bother paying him? For services, you know, I mean, why go through the hassle of British money at all? If I mean, I feel like he needs to have some memory. That's why they don't just do away with him. Or like, why didn't they relocate Mr. Roberts and his family? Say that like he won a uh, a trip to right. Hawaii or something. Right. And I mean, I, I guess they want the Muggle to 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 earn their their. Do- I mean, <clears throat> you know, he runs a business. He's running his campsite business, and they want to. Pay him for his for his for his business, you know. Um. So th- this th- this book, I've been noticing even in these early chapters, Harry's learning a lot, and um, yeah. it's something I forgot. <laughs> even in Goblet of Fire, he's still learning quite a a lot of um, uh, big bits of information. So uh, Harry and Ron start going to walk around for water to get water, and Harry gets his first look at a large group of wizards. And he sees wizarding mothers and children for the first time, which I thought was interesting because um, it's just hard to imagine this is his first time. This is his fourth fourth year going to Hogwarts, and he's just now getting a good look at real wizard families other than the Weasleys. Yeah. And he also realizes, wow, there are a lot of wizards in, in the world now. 
And we also here get our first look at Crumb. And Ron points him out. And Hermione only notes that he looks really grumpy. But we'll see in a couple <laughs> chapters later uh, the developing love interest there. But she brushes him off so quick. Which tends to be my problem with women. They they brush me off very quick until I show off my great skills and then they my great podcasting skills. Yeah. Um, yep, that's how you win them all, Andrew. I think it's the line, don't you know who I am? So, um, speaking of love interests, we also get to see Cho Chang. Now, this wasn't the first time we get to see her, but Harry is still very uh, taken with her. He spills his water all over himself when he goes to wave at Cho. He's very nervous, the poor guy. <laughs> so they get back to the campsite, and group meets Ludo Bagman, and Mr. Weasley makes a cheap bet with him while the Weasley twins make a pretty large one. And Ludo asks for <laughs> Crouch's whereabouts, but nobody knows. So Mr. Weasley asks for an update on Bertha, but there is none, and he suspects she's just lost, the poor the poor girl. I, I wanted to ask you a question here that was actually... Um a tweet that somebody sent in uh, Dr. Submarine asked um, about Bagman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Dr. Submarine. Uh, it's, uh, anyway, um, Bagman is one of the biggest omissions from the films. Why do you think that is? And would you have preferred to see him in it? Okay. So Bagman is what the, the international department of magical games and sports, right? I mean, that's, that's Bagman. That's not crouch. Yes. That is Bagman. And, he gets into debt with some goblins in this chapter later on and ends up getting disappeared by the mob. I feel like even, even Mr. Crouch, like when they showed uh, a lot of, a lot of Crouch senior is omitted too, like particularly his death, but, um, isn't it, or is it not his, his death admit, omitted from movie four? I forget, but, um, no, it's I, there. I think there's just the focus. The focus in all of this is, 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 uh, Crouch Jr. You know, where they had to splice him in the, the beginning scenes so that the end of the movie would make sense. So a lot of this, I feel like the, the wider world, as it were, you know, this book is all about the wider magical world. Um, but I feel like the movie didn't uh, really, uh, you know, had to had to omit it because there's there's so much. Yep. Well, no, I agree. I, I think there's there's definitely bigger omissions of characters in this book than just Ludo Bagman, but. I I don't know. I mean, he comes into play obviously later on, uh, towards the end of the book, um, and and he's really the whole reason why Harry ends up giving his winnings to the Weasley twins, because Ludo never came. Oh, through. I didn't I didn't remember that. So Barty finally does show up and discusses business with Ludo, Arthur, and Percy. Ludo drops another hint about that big thing that's happening at Hogwarts. Fred finally gets curious and asks what it is, but Percy insists it must remain secret. The ministry isn't ready to disclose the information. Blah, 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 blah. Percy's <laughs> such a jerk. Like, that's something else I forgot. Ugh. How annoying. He's got real, real issues. <laughs> so the summary of the chapter, I think, is that this is one giant disorganized event. It, it looks to be impossible to organize without muggles not realizing what's going on. It just seems like a lot of trouble. Well... The, in muggles, there are some things muggles can't see what's going on, you know? So I feel like they have some... And, and what's the difference between an unorganized, a disorganized event, and an organized one, really? I mean, if you're talking about a sporting event, what decides if it's organized or not? You know, this is... I think this is as good as it's going to get. They did this for months, and without the disappearance of Bertha Jorkins, uh, which I think 
she worked in this department, and she or something organized in this. I feel like, uh, you know, losing her kind of, I, I feel like she was one of the planners somehow. But um, in the end, I feel like it, it came off pretty well. I mean... Well, she she was involved was with the tri tournament. That's why she was of such value to to Pettigrew. Oh yes. Okay, my bad. Uh, the one other thing I was just going to mention was the uh, you get a mention of American uh, Wizard School, which is I think really the only time throughout the entire series where reference uh, to American Wizards actually yeah. existing. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's there there may be one or two in Fantastic Beasts. I feel like. Um, you know, where they mention America somehow, but it's very rare. And, uh, a lot of people, I think, I don't know if Joe ever responded to that, but she, she's like, you know, they're, they're British books. So, you know, right. we shouldn't expect to, to find, I know fanfic, the first thing you find is like, you know, people, people, American wizards, right, Laura? Oh God, I can't even tell you <laughs> how many times we got the ones with the American exchange student. I was like, please spare me. <laughs> <laughs> was it Salem Institute, I think, wasn't that what it was called? Goblet of Fire? Yeah, everyone used that. I don't understand. Oh, my God. Because the witch so trials. Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But, I mean, I think that's on. actually what it's called, be a though. Little more, be a little more creative. So that wraps up Chapter 7. Unfortunately, Laura has to leave a little early. Yeah, my, sorry, guys. Uh, no, it's okay. I, I blame Eric, because Eric delayed us a half hour. So. Oh, well. All right. Well, it was nice chatting with you guys. Yeah, so we'll speak to you soon. And we'll, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. So now let's get into Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup. Micah, what a perfect chapter for you. You are a sports fanatic. It is. I know. True. This is a, this is a great chapter for me. And, uh, I actually mentioned, I'll go right to that point, um, that J.K. Rowling does such a, a good job, I thought, for, for somebody who, I, I don't know, I don't really think she's that much of a, of a sports girl. You know, I, I don't, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, she does a really great job describing, uh, Quidditch and, and this whole match that takes place between uh, the Irish and the Bulgarians and, you know, just the way that she, she would be able to go from, you know, one player to the next and all the different moves, uh, that these players were doing. And, and I was wondering, you know, maybe one day she has a, she has a chance at working for ESPN. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah. Well, hasn't, hasn't Joe admitted that she isn't a fan? She doesn't like writing Quidditch scenes. Well, she, right? she said something like that. Yeah. Because she, but she's always been good at keeping track of who won. Like, like Micah said too, the details. Like, I, I feel like there were only like seven or eight actual Quidditch matches in the series, like that she had to write out. But um, you know, even when she did that book for charity, Quidditch through the ages, she was really meticulous about details of how the sport came about. So she she didn't putz around creating that sport. Like she's been a hundred percent, you know, on that. And I I feel like you're right. I feel like she did say at some point that. She needed to come up with ways to make the Quidditch matches at Hogwarts not seem repetitive, setting one in the rain, you know, having Dementors, that sort of thing, you know, set them apart sort of in her memory. But the, I, I, f- I still feel like there are quite a bit of Quidditch matches in the, in the, in the game. This is obviously the, the, the most important, um, because it's international and she can write about how, how the difference, uh, in, in international teams and, and their supporters, you, that's what makes this chapter so interesting. Yeah. 
So the the actual chapter, though, starts out uh, with them heading off uh, to the event itself. And, uh, you know, there's this back and forth again between Harry and Mr. Weasley and Mr. Weasley telling Harry that the stadium can hold 100,000 people. And and Harry is shocked at this, Um, you know, and you have to remember, this is a kid who's probably been or not probably has been locked up for the majority of his young life and hasn't had the opportunity to experience anything like this, even, uh, you know, going to a sporting event in England, I'm sure soccer matches or football, as they call it, uh, you know, they would have comparable crowds, certainly. Um, but, you know, maybe he's only ever caught a glimpse of it on TV. Um, and and I thought, you know, Andrew, you mentioned liking sports before. One of the things I hate about sports um, is you know, all the advertising and the commercials that take place. But even in this wizarding world, you know, there are these scrolling advertisements that are on uh, th- these boards throughout the the stadium um so a little bit of of our world meeting their world i guess yeah and something else i thought was interesting when they climb to the top of the when they get to their their seats it's at the very top of the stadium and i thought that was it and that was that's the best seats you can get and i (laughs) thought that was interesting because in the muggle world any sporting event the best seats are always the lowest yeah now now obviously the best seats in and and in quidditch are the highest because the gameplay takes place in the air. But I just thought that was interesting how it was complete opposite. Yeah. If, if you yeah. heard somebody had the best seats at a basketball game all the way at the top, you'd be like, oh, great. I'm in the nosebleeds. How is, how is that good? Yeah. Um, but in the magical world, it's, uh, the best seats are at the top. Yeah. Yep. And you just mentioned this, but the difference between, uh, the book and the, and the movies is that the Weasleys, Harry and Hermione, they sit in, uh, the, uh, the minister's box in the book, but in the movie, you know, they're up in those quote unquote cheap seats uh, all the way at the top of the stadium. And, you know, I think, uh, who would it have been at the time? Mike Newell did that to kind of, you know, show the difference between the Weasleys and the Malfoys and the Malfoys obviously Definitely. end up sitting in the minister's box in the movie in the book, they share it together. Um, and, J.K. Rowling notes the reason why Malfoy is there is because he made this huge contribution to St. Mungo's. So, you know, you look at somebody like Mr. Weasley, who kind of made it there on his own merit, and wasn't it that he got tickets from somebody that he knew? I forget. Yeah, somebody in the office, yeah. Somebody in the office versus Malfoy, who kind of paid his way into it. Yeah, so I was, I wanted to ask you guys that. Did he, did Lucius make that? Um, donation to the hospital just so he can get those good seats. Do you think he knew he would get those seats if he made that donation? Because why else would he have? Well, St. Mungo's is like... I know it's not really... We don't really go there until book five, but I feel like early on there were like these clues that St. Mungo's... Like, a lot of it was dodgy. Like, Lucius Malfoy... That's that's the question. Lucius Malfoy donates money to it. Doesn't it seem like they're they're doing something wrong or... You know, something right. shady if, if Lucius Malfoy is going to throw his money at it. But it could be what you're saying is just to get a seat at the Quidditch World Cup. I think that's perfectly plausible. Right. Cause yeah, you, I, that's what I think. You learn that he's there on Fudge's invitation after Fudge says specifically that, you know, Malfoy has made this donation. So I'm sure that played into it uh, somehow. Uh, but also, speaking of Lucius, we get to see his wife for the first time, Narcissa, Ooh, la, la. and uh, <laughs> she's introduced as looking as if she has something foul underneath her nose. Um, you know, she's just one of those women. Yep. 
Um, but I would assume that might have something to do with the fact that the Weasleys and Hermione were in the box as well. Um, well, but, look, that's, uh, that's but- an excellent descriptor, you know, the down under her nose thing. Like, I was surprised when Harry actually says that to Malfoy later on, because it's one of those instances where I'm reading and I'm thinking, that's a great way to describe somebody, you know, her, she, she turns her nose up at, you know, a- anybody who's below her, you know, below her in, in class, yeah, absolutely. in status, and in everything. It's great, a, a great descriptor. So when Harry actually says that out loud to Malfoy, it, it almost doesn't translate as well you know, when you're saying it, it still makes sense and everything, but I'm, I'm surprised that he did that, but it was a good comeback, I guess. I, I just, yeah. I felt like it was, it was better reading it than it was for Harry to say that, but it's still, it's still funny. It's still a good way to, 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 to depict, um, high class, uh, narcissism. That's where she gets her name. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but before the Malfoys even enter, uh, this, the minister's box, Harry encounters Winky for the first time. And initially he thinks it's Dobby, uh, because she looks very much like him. Um, and I thought it was interesting as she talks about Dobby getting out of control and ending up in front of the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, like some common goblin. Now here's a house elf, you know, who, who is, you know, basically born into servitude, making it seem like some goblin is is less of a creature than the house elf. I thought it was kind of ironic that you'd have a house elf insulting a goblin, but that's just my own take on it. Um, but the bigger question I thought, you know, that nobody raises, not even Harry, is is how does Winky know Dobby? You know, this whole conversation that's going on between them, she never says how she knows him. And I thought that might have been a clue early on to readers that, you know, perhaps Winky belongs to somebody that, you know, is not so good. Yeah. Well, maybe Harry just figures... All house elves know each other. (laughs) Yeah, and it sounds a little extreme, but we know that these are very unique creatures, and they're all... They, I mean, I guess they encounter each other at one point or another. I mean, that then that brings up a whole question. Like, what's the house elf family tree look like? Like, how are these things even born? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. So, I, I, I just think that I, I love house elves, first of all. <laughs> and not because they're, they're slaves to wizards. Um, but I think that I feel like they know each other. They they all know each other some way or another. They're all very old. They've been around forever. Yeah. You know? Well, this isn't really yeah. our first reintroduction to Dobby, I think, um, since Chamber of Secrets. And Yeah, you know, he, we, he was absent in, in Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't even think yeah. he was mentioned. Um, so, and obviously he comes to, into play a lot um, in this book and after that. But, um, and again, we see how house elves are treated. This particular one is up in this box, hundreds of, uh, well, not hundreds, but thousands of feet in the air, and uh, she's very much afraid of heights. Um, so again, the whole cruelty factor, her having to sit here, she's peering through her fingers because she doesn't want to look out into the, you know, arena, basically. So, um, also, a couple of other things happening in this minister's box. Um, Fudge ends up showing up, and uh, he greets Harry as if he's this old friend and you could tell Percy is a little bit jealous. He's a little envious <laughs> of the way the minister is interacting with Harry. Um, so I wondered, do you think that at all played into Order of the Phoenix when Percy you know, completely not only turns on his family but, but turns on Harry? That he's jealous? Well, 
Well, I think, you know, does that play at all into it? You know, Fudge, his opinion of Harry begins to change, obviously. Um, and Percy is pretty much a carbon copy of, of the minister in terms of ideas and, and how he views what's going on. So, you know, I wonder if, if, you know, this at all plays into it. You know, this is just the beginning of Percy developing that jealousy about Harry because of this relationship he seems to have with the minister. And then once the minister's point of view changes, he immediately latches onto it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like um, Percy at many times is like a... Um, it seems like a zombie. Because he's, he's, he's just that intense on... or in, in intent on gaining status under Fudge's eyes. The fact that Fudge can't even remember Percy's name, but yet Percy continues to work for him, you know, later on in this book, is... absolutely says something, and... I think, sure, I think that, you know, Percy being jealous, it's that and it's how he turns to Mr. Weasley and says um, that, you know, I need to make something for our family where, you know, later on when times get tough, he feels like his family is kind of a laughing stock. And so, you know, it's not just that they're blood traitors, although that is what it amounts to. Um, you know, Percy is just he's confused. This is just the time of his life where he's confused. Um, one other thing that I pointed out was I thought it would have been a funny scene in the movie um, between Harry Fudge and the Bulgarian Prime Minister when uh, Fudge is trying to introduce him and they have this whole language barrier problem. And as we learn later in the chapter, the Bulgarian Prime Minister speaks English pretty well. Um, but I just <laughs> wanted to uh, have a good time with uh, on F- at Fudge's expense. Um, so... We finally get to the match, and during the team introductions, uh, Ron gives the gold that he gets from the leprechauns. Uh, you know, the mascots are introduced prior to this. The Bulgarians have the Vilas, um, which are, you know, captivate the attention of, of all the males in the audience. And, uh, then the Irish present the leprechauns who are throwing all these gold coins around. And Ron's first, um, what do you call it? Uh, his first his instinct, instinct. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That that'll work. So, but Ron's first instinct is to give the gold to Harry um, to repay him for the omnioculars that uh, he bought for Ron um, before they entered the stadium. So, you know, what does that say uh, that his first thought is to repay Harry instead of you know just pocketing it, keeping it for himself? I think it shows that Ron's very um, Ron was raised right. He knows. He, he he feels bad that Harry bought this for him and uh, bought the um, omnioculars for him. And I think we saw that when Harry initially did buy them. He They were like a hundred galleons, weren't they? Yeah, they and ten, Harry reminded they... him, oh, it's it's your Christmas gift for the next ten years. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. So I think Harry or Ron was very grateful for it and uh, he wanted to pay him back. I I understand that it was very very nice of Ron. It says it says a lot about his his character. Yep. Or maybe so he knew. I know Eric wouldn't do that for me. What? I know you wouldn't do that for me. Oh, You'd if keep I the money if I yourself. knew the secret of leprechaun gold, I would absolutely do that for you. <laughs> uh, but the action gets underway, and uh, like I said before, Joe does a really good job of uh, really following the event and describing it. And it sounds like you know a, a real sporting event um, where people are getting into it and having a great time. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, you know, fighting that goes on really between these two teams. A lot of uh, questionable moves where people get temporarily injured. Um, and I thought the omnioculars were 
a really cool thing. You know, they let you slow down the action. Um, they tell you the different moves that are being done. Uh, and, you know, we don't really have anything comparable to that uh, in the Muggle world. Uh, you, you, I guess you have instant replay or slow motion, but, you know, that, that doesn't really let you do it real time. So, and it's not, and it's someone else showing you what to look at too. It's not like you can right. go on your own and point at something and say, "I want to see what that was doing 25 seconds ago." That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's really through your own perspective. It's um, it's it's almost like Joe is a sports fan because she knows exactly she what. Yeah, because she knows exactly what we would want. You know, it's like an interview she gave about the internet, and she said, "Oh, wizards have something much cooler than the internet," um, which ended up being Patronuses, I think. Because uh, they communicate that way, but yeah, so she she makes these really cool magical improvements that you know omnioculars they they're awesome. You're very right. Yep. And uh, the other thing from this match uh, that I wanted to bring up was the word meta wizards who tend to the injured players. Is that specific to sports? Because I don't ever remember this word being used at any other point in the series. Which oh, meta wizards? Yeah, yeah, I think, and maybe. For, for a game as large as the Quidditch World Cup, I mean, think about it. Have we ever seen... Well, let, okay, so let's say at Hogwarts, they have the hospital wing, and, um, you know, that can handle the school. But when you think about 100,000 wizards descending on a well, one th- location, there has to be some sort of medical well, think care. Of it like, like, you know, when, when you go to a concert or something, you'll see an ambulance or two out front just in case something happens. Paramedics uh, for big is... Events. Is paramedic, the, right. Yeah, paramedics is a, is a word you'll never hear anywhere else. Like, paramedics don't work at a hospital, or uh, I may sound stupid if that's untrue, but I mean, I feel like paramedics well, well, are, yeah, I feel like paramedics are the people in the field who are going to resuscitate you and get you to the hospital. So, you know, the school nurse is at school. You know, you're not going to have paramedics at your school. You're going to have the school nurse. Yeah. Um, so I feel like meta wizards is like paramedics. But yeah, like when we go to St. Mungo's and order the Phoenix, I just don't ever remember hearing that word being used. I could be wrong. It could be in that chapter. Um, but I just don't remember it. Being used. I think that's a, that's a long chapter, but yeah, I don't remember it either. It was always like healers or, you know, it, it, even in that list of, uh, yeah, you're you know, right. when, when they see the list on the wall of all the different, uh, levels of St. Mungo's and all the different units that you could go to. I'm, I'm sure Meta Wizard was in there somewhere, but it just seemed like such an odd word. Um, and I think you see them mention here because it's on location. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, one funny scene that during the match that might have worked in the movies as well is Hassan Mostafa, the referee, uh, during one of the uh, the timeouts after an injury gets taken with the Vilas, and he's over there under their spell, flexing his muscles. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, I, the Vila are so interesting. I mean. At one point, we saw Harry put his leg over the box. Yeah, like it's so <laughs> odd what is going on. It's it's almost like sexual. Like it I, is, you know. Like of course, Joe didn't want to say what the, what the guys were thinking, but it it is a very sexual. I think there's some very sexual thoughts going on. Yeah, it's but it's almost like subconsciously too, because right, you know, you it's can't not control like it. yeah, you're not thinking oh I want to bang her, but but your body's thinking that, you know. It's it's Harry with his leg well, over the box. Speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but um, there's more about the Velas here. Yeah, <laughs> there is. Uh, and In the notes. Uh, even Arthur Weasley says uh, once they, uh, I 
for, I can't remember exactly what happens, but the Velas start throwing fire at the Leprechauns. I know the referee wants to throw them out uh, of the stadium because of what has just happened to him, uh, but I think there's some sort of dirty move that takes place, or, or the Leprechauns join in formation and stick up their... Uh, they basically yeah, make a middle like, like finger. Yeah, a giant middle finger, yeah. I think that's... Uh, and so the Vilas start throwing fire, and Arthur <laughs> Weasley makes the comment, uh, that's why you should never go for looks alone. And uh, Harry sees uh, through the omnioculars that these once beautiful women are now crazy, uh, decrepit-looking, fire-throwing beasts. <laughs> that's why I think I like uh, Vilas as my favorite Fantastic Beast. Um just because of this hell there's the saying hell hath no fury like a woman scorned and there you go ladies and gentlemen that's that's jk rowling's uh you know companion to that statement there are these fire throwing beasts there you go um so the match is finally uh ended when crumb grabs the snitch um, and actually Ireland ends up winning the match because they were enough ahead. And, uh, Hermione thinks that Crumb is so brave for, you know, going and grabbing the snitch, even though he knew, uh, that it wouldn't end up giving his team the win. And the point being that also, uh, the Irish were just too good. They were just too fast and, uh, they were going to outscore them no matter what. Um, so Crumb decided that it, for everyone involved, it would be best just to capture the snitch and put an end to all of it. Um, so uh, the Weasley's prediction comes true that the Irish would win, but Crumb would get the snitch. And I always wondered, is just did they just pull that out of their you know, butt? I mean, did they just, just say, okay, this is what's going to happen in the Quidditch World Cup? I mean, it, it was so accurate the prediction it's almost like they had some sort of insight as to what was going to happen yeah it's interesting because we never get an explanation i feel like i feel like joe eventually in this 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 answered this this was um this is like the number one mystery for me too because it just seems like they're time traveling you know like fred and george going through time and cheating people out of winnings that way but yeah i (laughs) I don't know how they did it, and it, it, you're right. It's it's a it's a million to one kind of odds thing where it's yeah. like. But I think the even one in thing is, through the ages, it's it's even said something like like how often that happens. Yeah. And well, the not, thing too often. is that it does set up the whole joke stop joke shop storyline, um, because without it, you know, you don't progress along that line. I mean, I mean, you never know though. I guess even if Ludo did pay up. But that's really, I mean, we're discussing here how they knew it, but I mean, maybe that's just a plot point. You know, Joe said, okay, how am I going to get them to get enough money for the joke shop? Well, I'm going to write that they accurately predict the Quidditch World Cup and everything kind of falls out from there. There is a, uh, I just did a quick Google search to find an answer and somebody has an editorial up and they suggest either they used a time turner, they just guessed, the match was fixed. Or they used magic other than the time turner. So no, no, like solid theories. But I think I don't think there is a specific answer. I don't. I don't think Joe ever. Yeah, I, I I googled it too, and I can't find anything. I mean, maybe we should be yeah, using Bing, hard. the decision engine. <laughs> feel, feel free to uh, send in your thoughts, everyone listening. But I just I don't think I think they got lucky, and it's typical Fred and George. 
right? Because they go against the popular um, popular opinion, and they end up uh, have you know with a positive outcome. Yep. And once they face Ludo at the end of the chapter, he's like, "Oh, how much do I owe you guys?" Uh, so you <laughs> can tell that that's going to be a little bit of uh, of a problem moving forward. So the only other thing though was about you know Hermione sort of changing her opinion on Crumb. I know you mentioned that earlier. We see that change a lot yeah. throughout the next yep. couple of chapters. All right, so now it's time for Chapter 9, our final chapter for today. The Dark Beans. The, the Dark Mark. So, Another chapter where Harry learns a lot. Yeah, there's so. there's like these separate moments of, it, it almost seems, I'm not going to say forced, because it it's not ever seem forced, but uh, they, they totally stop amidst all the chaos, and there's lots of chaos in this chapter, uh, to learn things. So the chapter opens up, they're, they're, they're heading back from the Quidditch match, and Mr. Weasley tells Fred and George not to tell their mother that they have been gambling. Even though they won all this money, uh, you know, don't tell your mom you've been gambling. I feel like Mr. Weasley is a good guy. He's a good time guy. He, he realizes... Hey, not to go too off track, but when I read this, it made me think, why does... Why is Mr. Weasley with Mrs. Weasley? Like, it just seems like nothing but hiding <laughs> things from her... She's always getting angry at everyone. <laughs> this is going to be like our. Is this a healthy relationship? I'm not so sure about this. Didn't we just didn't, didn't we talk about if if Harry if Hermione and Ron are a healthy relationship? Yeah. <laughs> didn't we do I that? I'm sure there were times when my my dad said, "Don't tell your mother this," but it seems like Mr. Weasley's always doing that. It's like so many secrets. I don't. I can't handle. Yeah. It. Well, the twins agree, and, and, and yeah, at any rate, the the twins do agree that. Um, they don't want their winnings confiscated. Like their mom would right. take their money. Like, well, she did take their sweets uh, at the beginning yeah. of the... Yeah. She was like, Accio sweets. But um, anyway, they all go back. They're really excited about the Quidditch match. Um, nobody asks Fred and George how they knew the outcome. I don't think. I didn't read it that, that they did. I don't think so. We never got real explanation. Yeah, it's really awkward. Like, that seems to be a pressing issue. But anyway, I digress. Uh, they all pretty much fall asleep talking about the match, um, though it's really late in the morning and Harry doesn't even feel tired. Uh, Ginny falls asleep at the table and spills some hot chocolate, and then Mr. Weasley says, okay, everybody off to bed. So Harry has this dream, and uh, <laughs> I had to say it because it, it, it it's canon, but I didn't think it was. Um, in Goblet of Fire, okay, right here, Harry's asleep, and he has this, um, fantasy. He's not actually not quite asleep. He fantasizes that he saw himself in robes that had his name on the back, and he imagined the sensation of hearing a hundred thousand strong crowd roar as Ludo Bagman's voice echoed through the stadium, I give you Potter! And, uh, you know, it, it, the whole name on the back thing that was in the, the Quidditch World Cup, I forgot that that was actually... What they did, you know, I thought that having Harry's name on his on the back of his Quidditch robes was a strict movieism, you know, in number seven. When was Harry number seven? That just seemed like it was never in the book. But um, well, yeah, and and I remember before book seven came out, we we would speculate what Harry is going to do in you know in the epilogue because we knew there would be an epilogue, so we weren't sure. And I think that was one of the stronger theories that Harry would end up playing Quidditch in, in one way or another in the future. And and Harry having this fantasy of him being a, a Quidditch player, you know, this is one of those things where he's 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 fantasizing about being famous, but it's for something that he earns. It's for his prowess on the Quidditch field, and yeah, yeah, totally. It's you know, skill. so so it's 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 for skill, and also 
it's interesting to have this moment because by the end of the book, Harry has such a task ahead of him to kill Voldemort. Da, 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 da. This is before Voldemort comes back, so Harry's actually considering a career aspiration that isn't an R. You know, later on he just says, well, I never really considered it, but I always figured I'd probably just fight dark wizards. You know, now yeah. it's kind of an, in the age of innocence, in a way. So. Yeah, exactly. It's an, it's another sign of his childhood. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of kids this age will be like, you know, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be uh, the quarterback on my my favorite football team. So, and this is, I think this is sort of like Hedwig being a sign of Harry's childhood. Uh, this a- aspiration to become a Quidditch player is also a, a childhood um, yeah. dream I, that he grows out of, I, I think. Yeah, he does. But I also wondered if there was a nod towards what happens with the Triwizard Tournament. Because, you know, with Ludo Bagman introducing him, um, you know, in the first task and, uh, you know, having all those people around, maybe not a hundred thousand people, um, but there's still a crowd there. So I wondered if it was a bit of foreshadowing, uh, to the Triwizard Tournament. You know, that's, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good, good point. point. That's a good and, point. And Harry has his name on the back. Of his uh thing. Well, in the movie, so but not in the uh, even in the book. Do you think? Well, I don't know about the book, but yeah, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. still it's still still connected, still connected. Uh, um, right, well, that was so, interesting. Yeah, so they have their nice little little evening until the middle of the night, or later later that night. <laughs> Mister Weasley wakes Harry and Ron up. He says, "Get get a jacket on. You know, there's no time to actually get dressed in proper clothes. The, it's pretty hectic from this point on. They they go." Um, Bill, Charlie, Percy, and Mr. Weasley are going to help the ministry sort out this problem. Um, people are running. People are scared. Uh, there are other children that are that are sort of walking, and, and, and Harry and Ron and Hermione make their way towards the woods, and they're separated from Ginny and the rest of the, the, the Weasleys, but uh, they, they make their way into the woods, and <laughs> Ron trips... And I forgot who lost their wand. It, it is Harry, but I felt like this was where Ron would lose his wand. But he says something. Uh, Hermione can't find him. She uses Lumos, and she finds him. He's over. You know, he tripped. And and Ron says, uh, you know, I tripped over a tree root. And he's, he says angrily, and he gets to his feet. And then they hear a voice. <laughs> I'll read a quote for, quote from the book. Well, with the feet that size, it's hard not to, <laughs> said a drawling voice from behind them. Harry, Ron, and Hermione turned sharply. Draco Malfoy was standing alone nearby, leaning against a tree, looking utterly relaxed. His arms folded. He seemed to have been watching the scene through a gap in the trees. So so he knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, basically that's what this amounts to. And I, I, I said this as Draco, like a great opening line. Because he's like, well, with feet, that's I don't know why he's concerned with Ron, the size of Ron's feet, but um, what's well, typical cheap insult, cheap, uh, yeah, yeah, cheap, cheap, cheap insult, not very funny, you know, whatever you can think of, flying by the seat of your pants, sort of thing. But Draco's been watching this whole thing, so they meet Draco, and and they pretty much assume, especially by the end of the chapter, that that Lucius Malfoy was was out uh, ca- causing all this chaos. Now they meet a few other people in the woods. They they sort of leave Draco. Um, they encounter a French student who's look who's asking where Madame Maxime is. She's like, Who is Madame Maxime? And they don't they don't speak French, so they're like, What? And she says, Oh, Hogwarts. And Hermione assumes correctly that this is a student from Bobotons. And Ron's like, What? And she says, They must go to Bobotons, you know, Bobotons Academy of Magic. I read about it in an appraisal of magical education in Europe. That's what she says to him. So wouldn't it have been easier for her to say it's another wizard school in France? 
Like, she tells Ron instead. Yeah, she, I mean, this is just Hermione know-it-all. And as you point out in your notes, she does this twice. She goes, I read about it in blah, 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 blah. And it reminds me of in, in, in the movie when she goes, I read about it in Hogwarts, a history. But, um, quite important, Harry realizes he lost his wand. Uh, you know, at some point he, he, he reaches into his pocket. They're traveling through the woods. And he's like, I don't have my wand. So, um, again, we talk about Joe, how, you know, how she's less, um, subtle about conveying information. But in, in this book, it says, um, Harry usually kept his wand with him at all times in the wizarding world and finding himself without it in the midst of a scene like this made him feel very vulnerable. So she says that, and Harry's feeling vulnerable because he, he doesn't have his wand. You know, by book seven, she just kills Hedwig to, to make him feel vulnerable. But but right now, it's just the loss of his wand. Um, and pretty soon, Winky, the house elf, finds her way out of uh, some bushes. And it's, it's also stated in the book, this is uh, verbatim, she was... Uh, Moving in a most peculiar fashion, apparently with great difficulty, it was as though someone invisible were trying to hold her so back. So why didn't why didn't Winky say? Oh, so Winky, okay, so Winky's so whole he basically, does this. yeah, basically Winky's whole and Winky's told not to say anything. Task is to babysit Barty Crouch Jr. so that he can go to the Quidditch World Cup. At least that's what I remember. Um, is that she basically has to look after him and and. Uh, I think it's it's probably Barty Crouch Jr. that actually steals Harry's wand. Um, there's Ovila in the woods, and this is interesting. There's like a, a clearing in the woods. There's Ovila, and she's surrounded by all these men who are trying to impress the Vila. Um, you know, they 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 say a few things. Harry recognizes Stan Shunpike, um, who's telling the Vila that he's up for grabs for the next Minister of Magic. Um, kind of foreshadowing that, that the Minister of Magic will be kind of done with, but maybe a little early, I guess, in, the, you know, for this, but it's a scene of chaos. And, uh, Ron, even at this point, this is, this is kind of thing with Harry having his leg over the box. Ron, just out of context, just jumps in, and oh, I've invented a broomstick that will travel to Jupiter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to pull the most impressive things. And I guess in Stan, Stan's mind to impress a woman, it's, one of the most impressive things you can say is that you'll be the next minister of magic. Yeah, it's kind of goofy. Uh, yeah, Andrew, way to way to pull the the nerd card there. <laughs> Why? I guess he is a he has an aspiring he aspi- he thinks being a minister of magic is cool, which sort of is. And I mean, they cut all of this out of of the movie for obvious reasons. But I mean, the, this whole winky storyline was never included. Um, and spew. Yeah, that too. I mean, that yeah, comes in later on. But the the whole first twenty thirty minutes of the Goblet of Fire movie moves so fast. It does. Yeah, That's why I mean, like, you, yeah, we were saying. I think it wasn't before the film came out, but a- after we saw the film at the first live podcast, Mugglecast, I think we talked about how you know the Quidditch World Cup could be a, a twenty thirty minute deal, and what we were just saying in chapter by chapter, last chapter, all the advertising and stuff, you can kind of see it in the movie, but it's. The movie scene really only lasts 15 seconds. They sit down, they grab their seats at the Wizarding World Cup, and then there's that overhead shot where you see Fudge, like, announce it. And then there's, like, an overhead shot of the whole stadium, and that's it. That's the Quidditch World Cup. I mean, if it, you know, until until nightfall. But it's very condensed. No, I, I agree. It is very condensed. Um, I think, And I think they did a great job with it. I'm just disappointed that they left out such an integral part of Goblet of Fire because... 
you know, I think what it is is they have Harry just get caught up in a crowd and he trips and loses his wand and then Barty Crouch Jr. finds it and loses it. But there's so much more to the story that J.K. Rowling included in the book. So it was kind of disappointing to see it left out in the movie. Yeah. And remember, this is the this is the film that they first considered turning into two parts. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder right. how they that would have said that. Yeah. I wonder how that would have played out, because if you think well, about it, like a lot less would have been cut. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But I feel and like I mean, they- <laughs> and, and they were, you know, reading reading this back now. I mean, this is the first time I've read it in a while, probably since before the film came out. And it reminds you how much there was that could uh, could have been included. I mean, yep. the, the whole spew thing would have taken up quite a bit of time. And I think it would have been interesting to see. Even though the house elves would have been expensive to uh, produce, but <laughs> yeah, instead of just throwing them on a camel for you know point five seconds in uh, that was a funny in the story, movie of the in the beginning of Goblet of Fire oh, to show that they had been to Egypt or what? No, there's a scene no. that Andrew, I think Andrew was the one who pointed it out. Uh, Somebody emailed it into us uh, where there's there's house elves in Goblet of Fire, but it's literally for like a second. It, what? It, at the Quidditch at World the Cup. Quidditch World Cup? Yeah. Oh wow! What? That's awesome. They're that's riding awesome. on like a camel or something like that. <laughs> that's I don't think that's accurate. That's really weird. If the movie were split into two, they obviously would have had to split every movie after that into two, wouldn't they? Probably. Do you think? Yeah, I guess so. There definitely would have been a lot more pressure to do that. Five is but, the longest. But the, like, but then there wouldn't have been time to release so many films. I mean, by the time they got Deathly Hollows, the actors would be would have been too old. So that that may have been an issue too, time constraints, getting these films shot before the kids grew up too much. And Emma w- was rushing to cut her hair. She didn't want to wait <laughs> any longer than she had she to. Gone. <laughs> anyway, moving on. What happens is they end up meeting up with with Winky again, but um they're they're in the woods and first they pass a group of goblins who are described as um I think it's the ones that Barty Barty or Ludo Bagman paid off. Um, because they're just huddled around their gold and they seem totally disinterested in what's going on to the wizards. Basically, uh, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, they hear a voice in the woods. It's the incantation which sends off the dark mark. And the incantation is Mors Mordra. Um, what, what do you think? What was the point of us hearing the incantation and then seeing this thing that we don't yet know what it is first? We heard this low voice. We, I feel like it gives it a special entrance. What did you guys think when you were reading this? Um, I thought it was a good introduction for the Dark Mark. There's, there's, it, it was a very eerie, as you put, cryptic way to introduce it because Harry doesn't know what it is. And this is one of the two major things he learns about in this chapter, the Dark Mark and also Death Eaters. Um, and I was surprised to see that this was the first time he had been able to associate a term with, you know, those hooded masked figures. Um, but... No, I I, th- I thought it was I thought it was a fine introduction. Yeah, I I agree. It was very dark feeling, you know, uh, that that something was definitely wrong. I mean, it it's just one of those things where where you know that uh, th- that something isn't right. Um, yeah, and it, just the word itself, you know, it has has a deathly feeling about it. Yes. Yeah. And it, this particular scene is in the movie with, you know, him shouting Moore's Mordra. But, um, obviously it rushes by pretty quick. There's a scene, I, I brushed through it really quick, cause they, they interrogate Winky, they find Winky, she has Harry's wand, um, we also learn, in, in a kind of a Hermione bookish moment, but I forget who says it, I think it's Bagman, um, says that 
there's under Article Three of the section of you know international magical cooperation. I think it is that that uh, house elves and other non-humans are not allowed to carry a wand. Um, that's actually a breach of a law. Only wizards can carry a wand. And this is mentioned in Book 7, I believe it is, when Griphook is talking about wizards being fair to other creatures, um, because only only wizards are allowed to carry a wand. All other beings that are magical can do magic, but not carry a wand. So I And we'll discuss the elf right stuff later when we get into the spew and all that. But there are other wizards, are, like, all around, this is what annoys me, who have actually seen the Dark Mark before. You know, Mr. Weasley says later on, it was a symbol used only when Death Eaters killed, and, you know, imagine coming home and finding it above your house with your family, you know, knowing that you can expect to find your family dead inside. That's, in, like, that's an amazing image. It's It's horrible. It's dreadful. And this whole... Hermione saying, oh, it's, you know, symbol I read about in this, in front of all these other wizards seems almost disrespectful, certainly inappropriate, and it annoys me. Like, why is she like this? You just want to shake her. Well, I mean, maybe she was the only one not afraid to admit what it was. You know, if to, to Mr. Weasley and others around her, uh, around him, you know, that means something far more significant than it would to a 14-year-old Hermione. I mean, so that they're in mark denial. could mean... Well, maybe they don't want to admit to themselves that he could possibly be back, because that meant. Yeah, and they. Yeah, go ahead. They said they said that they haven't seen it in what thirteen years or something like that. So, it's been a really long time since they had seen the dark mark, and so. So I it's almost it is, like it, nobody would have talked. Yeah, it's it's denial and it's shock you know. and it's yeah, it just in the moment. Okay, so yeah, to wrap up um, this chapter. We basically, we learn that, that the Death Eaters, um, or what's left of them, uh, they were scared away by the Dark Mark. This is, they actually pretty much dis- deduced that for themselves, um, Mr. Weasley and, and the trio, uh, that somebody cast the Dark Mark and it actually scared the Death Eaters away. The Death Eaters had been, uh, torturing the Muggles, at least the Muggle family, Mr. Roberts and his, his wife is, is is turned upside down in midair, exposing her knickers. It's, it's pretty it's pretty disgusting, and um, basically the Death Eaters were were scared away by the Dark Mark. So somebody perhaps even more faithful, and this this brings back the first chapter of Goblet of Fire, where Voldemort talks about his faithful servant at Hogwarts. Uh, you know, who's going to be called into action. Somebody almost more faithful than even these Death Eaters who are torturing these muggles, uh, you know, cast this dark mark. They were really close to Harry. They didn't kill Harry, even though they were right next to him. But apparently they scared the real Death Eaters away. So it, it, it kind of, it's very foreboding. It's very, very scary leading up to, to the future of the book. Okay, so that's it for chapter by chapter. But first we have a couple tweets sent into our... Twitter account, twitter.com slash microcast, and Mike is going to run through them. All right. Uh, we already talked about Dr. Submarine uh, with Ludo Bagman and uh, his character being omitted from the movie. Uh, we know a lot of characters were omitted from the film. So uh, Liz Ann B says, I feel like in Chapter 9, Harry losing his wand is too convenient and for Barty Crouch Jr. to find it too easy. What do you think? Yeah, and especially because Harry's not one to drop his wand and forget. Well, I, Winky, well, Winky, that's the thing. I th- that's I, the movie, though. Yeah, that's the, mo- I feel, the movie. I feel, yeah, where he trips and fa- and drops his wand. 
I no, want. I'm, I'm not even refer- referring to the movie. I'm referring to the book. Well, which, in the I mean, book, how does he lose it in the book? Winky is at the, at the scene of the crime. It. Winky steals it. She steals it, from it in I mean, the box. Yeah, she she doesn't. Oh, in the box. Yeah, he loses his wallet in the box. Oh, I forgot yeah, about but, that. But no, but no, but see, that's my point. It's it's still Harry doesn't do that. Well, I wouldn't, mean, wouldn't Harry have realized that it's sort he of like lost... A, it's sort of like a cell phone. You always check to make sure you have it before you go to your next... Like me. You know, I, it is like my, a cell phone. It really is. That's when, a good comparison. When I'm out and about, I'm checking to see if I have my cell phone with me. I mean, that's how the wand should be treated, too. Um, Well, especially yeah. that he goes back to the tent, goes to sleep, and doesn't realize that it's missing until he's in the forest. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's weird. Yes, okay, that's my but, point. But okay, even if she hadn't stolen it then, remember, they meet up with Winky before they actually meet up with Winky the second time after she's cast the spell. So, like, Winky, where she's dragging something as if it were invisible, they meet her then. So she could have stolen Harry's wand then, even though she stole it in the box. If Joe were so inclined, she has them meeting that other time. And, and, and just after that happens, Harry realizes that he's lost his wand. Okay, uh, Jasmine's Wings says, If Winky isn't in the movies along with the other house elves besides Dobby, what do you think they're going to do in Deathly Hallows? Well, Eric, you've seen the movie, and Creature assume... and Dobby are both there. Yeah, they're both there. I assume she means, as far as the final battle, where house elves are throwing pots and pans and forks and knives at the Death Eaters. Um, I'm sure it'll be weird. Actually, I think they'll have them. It will it'll, be weird, but it's weird because even in the movies, you see the food just appear, and because you never go down underneath the kitchens in the movie, seeing a bunch of weird elves that we haven't seen before residing in Hogwarts, coming out of Hogwarts, you know, would probably be weird. I I don't. I but feel like maybe maybe they'll just be in the background. Like there won't be like a big scene with the house elves rebelling or not rebelling, fighting. It's just you see them in the background, or you, or you see them mixed in with the crowd. Because I think it would be a nice tribute to the book. And considering how long the battle is going to be, they need m- as much variety as possible. They do so need variety. So seeing the house elves would be great for book for for the film. I agree with that. But I, I feel like the, the final battle is already going to be really different than it is in the book. Because uh, as we've seen as we've seen in the in the trailers uh, for both parts, you know, Voldemort and Harry alone in the middle of a courtyard with half of Hogwarts missing, like that's totally different. And because there's there's nobody there's nobody surrounding them also fighting, so that's going to be interesting how they get to that statement. So I almost want to say I, I feel like you know we won't see giants storming the the battlefront. You have to see that because it's such an iconic scene in the book. But I really wonder what it's going to look like because like things like house elves they could just not include if the movie you know takes them a different place. And it would still be a satisfying Battle of Hogwarts. Yeah, I mean, I think I would hope that, like Andrew said, that they would be there um, as a tribute to the books. The same thing with the centaurs. And I don't remember if the Mer people got involved either. Um, but, you know, certainly sort of as a whole group coming together, um, you know, to fight against Voldemort. But uh, final tweet was from Griffin Sandler, who says, Why is Bill just as smart as Percy, but so much cooler? How do you think it affects Percy? <laughs> Percy just has personality issues. He's he's very stuck up. He he he's in serious need of friends and a life. Yeah, whereas Bill has friends and a life. So obviously we lost a lot of muggles during this whole battle and um in memory of these poor people who lost their lives, um we have a song to play for them because as we all know, we now 
Well, we're getting back to a tradition on MuggleCast where we play a song in memory of those who have passed away as we as we read their deaths in the series. So the song was chosen by Eric, and this is for them. So rest in peace, dear Muggles. Dear Muggles. Poor Muggles. A lot, of, a lot of crazy craziness at the uh, the hand of... Uh, they even said in that chapter, like, the Death Eaters used to kill people just for fun. Just for fun. That's right. Well, it's been a very full show and uh, a very long one. So we're going to wrap it up. We want to remind everybody about our website, MuggleCast.com. It's got all the information you need about the show including how to follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, get all the episodes, get all the transcripts, read about us. Transcripts, you like yeah. to read about us. And Ooh. I have a very exciting announcement. We now have a new P.O. box. Laura, Whoa. of course, now is in Maryland for her studies. And um, it's just it's just faster if, if the, the, the mail goes to someone else. So it's going to go to me from now on. <laughs> and oh, we have a new awesome. P.O. box. If you have sent mail and it didn't get sent back to you, um, we did receive it, and we, so we do have it. So don't worry if you sent it to the old P.O. box. We still received it, and we thank you very much for what you have sent. Uh, we really do appreciate it. We have a new P.O. box. It's on the MuggleCast website. It's uh, Andrew Sims, MuggleCast, P.O. Box 3634, Fullerton, California, 92834-3634. So that's that's a long address. Um, so just visit MuggleCast.com, click on Contact at the top, and you will see the new P.O. box there. Uh, you can send us uh, baked goods, um, small animals, uh, items for Micah for his uh, news desk, etc., etc. Bobbleheads. I like bobbleheads. Bobbleheads, yeah. sure. You don't have to send anything. We We set up the P.O. box a long time ago because... Uh, people wanted to send us written letters, and uh, actually, I have a couple, a couple here on my bulletin board. Uh, nice, you know, memories. Yeah, um, Christmas cards are nice. People always do really nice things for us for Christmas. Yeah. So, um, and we'll get back to, uh, you know, thanking people on the air for things that come in. So send us stuff. And and it's we Matt's like birthday. It. It's Matt Matt Britton's birthday is today. So happy birthday. Yes, or send send Matt a gift. So you can also find a feedback form on the contact us page to write in give us your thoughts about everything that we discussed today we want to hear how you what did you how do you think fred and george uh, figured out who would win the quidditch world cup i mean if if anyone could figure it out easily surely everyone would do it and bet on it and make big money right so it's a lot to debate there i'm so again, sure we made a mistake or two somewhere has all the information line. you need yes that's right so that does it for this week's show. We will probably, our next episode, maybe a live one, since the trailer is probably due out soon. I'm guessing it's it's very it's imminent. It's, it's imminent at this point. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. We'll see you next time for episode 209. Bye-bye. Bye.